All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode 16 of the Independent Info Podcast. I'm your regular host, Kimberly Bomani, here today with another guest. He's over Purple Rain Vikings IG content. His name is Jake Garman, and his IG page is about consists of 1,400 followers and it creates solid Minnesota Vikings content. And he's here today to speak on the Minnesota Vikings recent draft in 2021. Like I said prior, we just followed the NFL draft that happened the week prior. It's now complete. Wanted to get a variety of um, individuals that are passionate fans about the NFL teams, their insights on what they feel like this team did pretty well in the NFL draft. Reached out to Purple Lane Vikings. He's here to do this with me. And before we go straight into it, I want to talk to Jake about, you know, so he can go further in depth about his product, IG page, what he does on there on a daily basis, and what's the strength that he delivers to his public audience in terms of being a reliable source for Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I uh, can't wait to just talk some draft. I mean, I think they had a good one, but hey, I'm looking forward to all the uh, the different topics from each about the draft, you know. So yeah, let's get right into it. For sure. And we're going to start with topic number one. Instead of just going right into the draft, let's talk about the expectation you had before the draft officially began. Warrior Vikings football team obviously coming in. It was renowned from the fan base and people on the outside looking in as well. They probably needed another pass rusher. Obviously, Daniel Hunter, who was out most of the year because of injury. The team as a whole only was able to accumulate 23 sacks a year ago. They needed substantial online improvement at the tackle spots. Um, they gave up 39 sacks, but someone had some bright solid spots at the guard spot with Ezra, Ezra Cleveland and Brian O'Neill. And last but not least, a potential QB here. To Kirk Cousins. Cousins' current uh, tenure with the team, for the most part, has been shaky, to say the least. Got two more years left on his contract. And while he's played well, the team has won one playoff game and hasn't been able to advance in the NFC Championship. So, with all that being said, what did you feel like the team probably was going to go after prior to the draft starting last week? I think it was uh, pretty predictable in what I expected. I did expect that 14, well, at the time I did, uh, for either a pass rusher or uh, O-line protection, I would have been okay. For edge rusher, I would have been okay with either Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips. But for offensive line, I would have been okay with either Elijah Vera Tucker, which is what uh, most people actually had us getting, like in mock drafts, which I would have been okay with. Or I would have been fine with Christian Derisaw, and boom, we got Christian Derisaw, even though we traded back uh, 23 with the Jets, I believe, to uh, still get him. And that that was just a steal, and it seems like everybody loved it. For the uh, Kirk Cousins successor, yeah, I was all for that. I mean, if you saw any rumors, we were we were trying to get Justin Fields, and unfortunately, we just we couldn't get him, and the Bears had to trade up and steal him from us so you know that's too bad but hopefully he doesn't work out uh for us at least <laughs> uh Kellen Mond I'm not really I'll be honest I'm not really a fan of I mean I think he has a lot to work on if he starts immediately I feel like he's gonna get you know he's gonna get killed but you know hey I mean I guess anyone can improve you know especially with his accuracy and throwing mechanics but I mean, yeah, the one thing I like about him is that is his athleticism, which is what people criticize Kirk Cousins for, because Kirk Cousins, you know, he can throw, but he his pocket awareness is not the best. But, you know, hey, we got him Christian Derrissaw, and now we got him 
Wyatt Davis, the guard from Ohio State who fell into the third round, who was projected to be a first-round pick. But, you know, he had injury concerns, and he ended up falling to the third round. And that was that was just a great value pickup and probably even a steal overall, maybe the biggest, uh, arguably. But, you know, time will tell. You know, yeah, I think it was pretty much exactly what I expected the Vikings to do. And I think they did a good job of it. I agree. and Might as well dive into it right now since you laid it out so eloquently. When they were picking first, obviously they had on their minds. It's probably shocked a little bit of the fan base, but understandably so. Justin Fields, when he started to fall, looked like their number one player on the board. And obviously the Bears were going to trade up and get him. But it allowed them to do something that's pretty rare, trade back and still get a top three tackle in the draft. Yep. We knew from a substantial standpoint that Penny Sewell or Sean Slater, they were the top two guys at the O-line spot. And to get Darisol, who people raise, long arms, he's athletic, he's mobile, to be your protector on the blind side, as well as him being able to actually pivot to that zone rushing team. How surprised were you that those chips fell like they did? And what kind of impact do you feel like Darisol can create for this football team in day one? I think uh, the hope is definitely for him to lock down the left side, but I think he can. I think he absolutely can. I think he um, – I think, I mean, he's a bit, he's bigger than our offensive line. Uh, one thing that Mike Zimmer wanted was to, um, you know, get this O-line bigger, you know, and, and he sure did. And Christian Derrissaw is one of them. I mean, he can, he can pass block, he can run block, he can do it all. I mean, he's not the fastest, but you know what? He can still run, run out there and, you know, push people out of the way. Uh, he only gave up six pressures in college, I believe, which was either last year or college career. But either way, I think that might have been last year. But either way, that's still impressive with a uh, 95.6 grade from PFF. I, you know, I mean, I think he could be every bit as good as uh, Sewell and, and Slater. I mean, those, they're the top three guys for a reason. But again, I think, uh, I mean, again, yeah, people like to talk about Sewell and Slater as the best, but I think Derisaw can be just as good as they are or maybe even turn out better potentially if all if all of it works out but yeah I think it's uh I think Derrissaw's going to be a hell of a player for us I think he's going to clear the way for Dalvin Cook I think he's going to give Kirk better protection especially on the passing uh yeah I think he's I think he has a lot to bring and I think he's only going to get more comfortable and better as the season goes on in a draft where it's arguably looks as if Minnesota, as the draft went on, did reach for athletic skill position players on both the offensive and defensive side of the football who might have supremely high ceilings, but currently when it comes to them being played on a down-and-down basis, they're certain unknowns. They didn't do that on the offensive line. They went out with the best players available on that side, got there or so, and then being able to get Wyatt Davis to offensive in Clark, Ohio State, he talked about how injuries made his stock drop. What can he bring to the table as he comes on the team? And potentially, does Minnesota see him as a Brian O'Neill replacement? We do know that he's on the final year of his contract. But the expectation is he'll be a rotational lineman for them early on in his career. And then as O'Neill moves on, he can just slide into that starting guard spot. Oh, yeah. I think Wyatt Davis, uh, like I said from the beginning, I think he can potentially be like the biggest steal out of this draft. I mean, the value that they got him from at 86 is like 
insane. I mean, he was projected to be a first round to the Vikings from the beginning before his injuries happened. And the fact that the Vikings were still able to get him uh, in the third round is just, it's incredible. And I think he's, uh, if his knee ends up being okay, and I think if he uh, gets healthy and, you know, maybe works on a few things that, uh, that was some of his critiques, uh, which I think he'll be fine. I mean, it's easily coachable. I think he'll be, I think he'll be good to go and he can finally be the guard that we've been looking for. I mean, uh, the, the Vikings guard play has been downright awful the last few years. Like it's not even funny. Like Drew Samia, you know, we thought he was going to be a steal and he ended up being a huge disappointment. Like it was just, it was just bad. Uh, Pat Elfline, you know, he started as a center, you know, and then injuries just, you know, ruined everything. And, you know, he, we moved him to guard and we thought, okay, you know, he played here before and this was considered his better position, but he ended up being the worst guard in the league. Like it was not good. Uh, we have not had, they had not had consistent guard play in like a long time. And I think Davis could finally be the guy to help, you know, bring that on the passing and run blocking. And yeah, again, if Davis can stay healthy, like if he uh, if he does great in camp, especially uh, coming off being an All American winner, I think he could. Uh, yeah, I think he could start automatically too. And I think he. I mean, people are already saying he could, but um, again, I, I think if he's fully healthy, especially kills it in practice, he's going to be starting day one along with Derisaw. And yeah, hopefully, yeah, I think those two can help improve this Vikings O line finally. So it's safe to say that the Vikings probably the two best picks in this draft are offensive linemen. I, I think so. Individuals. Who do you feel like is probably the best value pick for them? This was a team that were not able to pick in the seventh round, but they had a ton of picks, and they had a run of picks in the third and fourth round. So in those two area codes, what do you feel like they got the most bang for their, bang for their buck at the value aspect in Dressler? Um. I think Davis is up there, but, you know, moving on from Davis, I think uh, on the day three picks, uh, I really like Jalen Twyman there, which was what they got with their last pick. You know, he, uh, he actually had a really good season the the season before he opt out due to COVID concerns. And he also did not have a great pro day, but honestly, I think he can, I think he can turn into something nice and well. I think he can finally bring the uh, interior pass rush that the Vikings have not had for quite some time. I mean, I, the Vikings uh, D-line coach, uh, Andre Patterson, I think he's one of the best D-line coaches in the league, if not maybe the best. I mean, look what he's done to a guy like Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter went, I mean, he's not an interior player, but, you know, from as a defensive end, you know, he only had like four sacks at LSU. And then he went on to become the, uh, like the first, the youngest player in NFL history to get over 50 sacks. And, you know, and he's also a beast on the run, which is, pretty much why he only had four sacks in college because uh his run his run game was like the only thing that was you know uh, good about him but you know we turned him into a pass rusher and all hell broke loose pretty much but yeah Jalen Twyman going back to him I think uh you know teach him up a few things uh I think he's gonna be you know I think he's gonna be a stud for us and I definitely think he was a hidden gem. Uh, a lot of people have compared him to Aaron Donald, which I would not go as far because Aaron Donald's a whole different player of his own. Let's be real here. But Jalen Twyman, you know, he's not the biggest guy either, and he can still 
you know, put on the pass rush. And I think he could be, again, he could bring that consistent pressure to us. Uh, we also got his teammate, Patrick Jones, who was on the edge. And I think Patrick Jones can be turned into a stud as well. And finally, that one opposite end for Daniil Hunter uh, since Everson Griffin. Uh, Patrick Jones, I love his speed. He's very quick. You know, and I think uh, with Andre Patterson potentially teaching him some more moves to, you know, maybe up his game, I think that could uh, that could definitely, you know, set their D-line back to the top again. And, like, yeah, like – that's that could end up being a real good pick. Uh, I like Janarius Robinson as well from Florida State University. I think he could uh, think he could be a good run stopper for us and another good death piece. It, it, uh, it just depends on the depends on how the training camp goes because you know we got like a ton of edges and you know there's going to be competition aside from Hunter you know being a lock uh, especially when healthy. But yeah, and I also like. Uh, Another player I liked that stood out was Amir, uh, Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa, the wide receiver. Uh, he, uh, a lot of people consider him to be underutilized. Like when you look on the tape, he's actually pretty good. Like he's got decent speed. He can catch, you know, he could be like a third target. He could be a third target, maybe even a returner, but I think a third receiving target could be, uh, which is also one thing the Vikings have been looking for, could finally be the thing that the, that, uh, that they can use and you know I think he could yeah I think he could be that target and yeah I think they got a lot of good value but those uh those four guys I just mentioned I think they um I think they definitely have something to prove and could surprisingly rise up in the future obviously we get in the rounds three to round seven you're basically basing a lot of these players off of what they do well in terms of a strength perspective and because of that, their upside is they're able to put everything together is immense. So you're really projecting what they can be with the right coaching, the right fit, the right scheme, things of that nature. I want to touch base on a couple of things that you talked about. Jalen Twyman was an interesting prospect as well, like you said. He, you know, his sophomore year in 12 sacks and didn't play this past season because of COVID. Like you said, also did not test well at his pro day. He's one of the slower D tackles there, in which at an undersized perspective, Around the 300 pound mark was a little bit alarming, but he bench pressed 40 times on the weightlifting aspect. And he's an individual where, although he's undersized, you can rush the passer, and he's shown an ability to stop the run effectively. But the guy that you also brought up, True Patrick Jones, is kind of a likeness to, I don't want to say he's like Daniel Hunter, but in terms of his athleticism, his raw ability, it's there as well. But yeah. he also was undeniable. Every time I saw the tape, he even if he overran the play, he always put himself right back in the play to get a tackle, also back for a sack. And while his hand placement and pass rushing techniques do obviously need improvement, Vikings are probably banking on, like you said, the personnel that they had. Daniel Henner came out with the same type of prototypes and abilities. They were able to mold him into a top 10 premier pass rusher in all of football. So being able to get those two guys in the later round perspectives, be able to incorporate them within the roster and get the pass rush that they needed because when Hunter went out with the injury, Yannick Ngakwe didn't work out. It was a realization for them. They needed that athleticism and that yeah. stability up in the trenches to be effective in rushing the pass, stopping the run. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jalen Twyman, you know, he may be small, but uh, so was John Randall and Aaron Donald. I'm not saying he's, like he's going to be like those guys, but I'm just saying that sometimes size doesn't, you know, it doesn't tell the whole story. And 
Yeah, again, I mean, it might take a year or two for them to, for him and, you know, his teammate Jones to, you know, gel up and, you know, find their group. But I think it can, but I'm very confident that it can happen. I'm sure that they can uh, definitely be very good rotational pieces. And I think uh, they could definitely make their impact known with, uh, with some really good coaching. I mean, Patrick Jones, yeah, you know, he could, he could definitely use some work, but you know, that, that's not a big deal. I mean, just teach him some moves, you know, maybe uh, get him stronger, you know, see how he does. I mean, put him in the rotation, you know, uh, yeah, just, you know, keep an eye on him and see how he does. I, I again, I think he's going to, I think he'll definitely start off as a big rotational piece for the Vikings. And with that athleticism and what they can do with him, like they did with Hunter, that, that could be a real scary duo, assuming Hunter is healthy again. But, you know, I think, I think he will be, but, you know, Again, assuming that they're, you know, both healthy at the top, you know, with their athleticism, watch out. Like, yeah, the quickness is just unreal. The elephant in the room has to be Kellamond. He was the mystery quarterback that everybody fell in love with. If your name wasn't Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach Wilson, Matt Jones, Justin Fields, he was quarterback number five that a lot of guys were high on. You're very skeptical about what he can bring to the table in terms of what he is right now in his career. I am as well. What do you see in him that's a strength, or what do you see him that's a formidable weakness that you feel he'll need time to further patch up before he can emerge into the starting quarterback role? Well, man, I mean, I mean, I, I, okay, yeah, I'll say a positive. He's athletic, which is something Cousins doesn't have, like I mentioned, you know, because Cousins, you know, the thing that everybody gets on him for is his lack of pocket awareness. You know, he's a statue in the pocket, especially with the interior pressure and the, you know, edge rushers coming up on him. And McKellen you know, Kellen can easily avoid that. I mean, he's fast. He can run. But honestly, that's like the only thing I could say that's good about him because his throwing abilities, I know people say he has a strong arm and I'm sure he does. I mean, he, I've seen some, some good stuff, but I feel like he wouldn't get away with half of the throws he makes uh, in the NFL. He's going to need to really sit down for like a year or two or maybe even two years to really get underdeveloped because I don't trust him to come in right now and replace Kirk. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But if Kirk was to go down injured, let's say, and he comes in, then, you know, it's – I just don't really have a lot of faith in the rest of the team – around Kellen Mond. I mean, Kellen Mond is a guy who's, I mean, yeah, he could end up being a surprise and, you know, shock a lot of people. But again, you know, I'm not really convinced on him because, you know, his, his throwing ability and his mechanics and everything. I mean, yeah, that can be worked on, but again, you know, you're going to need some time, like about a year or two to really, really get that fixed. And if you can't get that fixed, then, you're not going to be the quarterback that everybody's hoping for the successor. Now, yeah, I agreed that we need, I wanted to get a successor uh, to prepare for life without Kirk. But for me personally, I just don't think Mond is the right guy for that, but I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he can end up being that guy. Maybe he can prove me wrong along with maybe some other people who aren't so high on him either. Yeah. Again, I like his athleticism. I like that he can run. You know, that, that could definitely be really helpful, especially for the Vikings offensive line and, you know, uh, other things as well. But again, he's going to have to work on his throwing abilities to, you know, when it comes to the throwing game, because again, 
you know, that, yeah, that's the most important part, obviously. And accuracy is what you want from a quarterback, I think. Yeah, I agree. He's incredibly raw. And the thing that mm-hmm. was highlighted on tape that I saw, he's very robotic in like everything he does, even his running style. It's like he's moving a step slower. So although I do agree he is athletic, his athleticism isn't the traditional wow factor that you might usually see in a dual threat quarterback. And then when it comes to his mechanics and his passing ability, it's robotic as well. He does have zip on the ball and and a lot of zinc to it. So he can drill it through some very tight windows. But yeah. in the NFL, it's all about consistency, hitting the ball, throwing the football outside the boundary and deep down the field. And I felt like his vertical passing game was a little bit touch and go. Sometimes it'd be right there. Sometimes it'd be an underthrow. And you could say the same thing about his passing ability on the boundaries. Now, with these raw prospects, I kind of say the same terminology with all these guys because Josh Allen proved you can get better, but you, you kind of got to break who you are all the way down to the roots and rebuild you again. And it starts mechanically from the base up. Do you have trust and a faith that Minnesota's offensive coordinator, their quarterbacks coach, their offensive unit as a whole can make that happen and try to create Maude into a more polished passer than what he is right now. Uh, yeah, I think I, like I said, I always think there's room for improvement for, you know, anybody. I mean, yeah, again, look at Josh Allen, you know, the guy was like an inaccurate, he was just a wildly inaccurate machine for like the first two years of his career. And look at him last year, he had like the best year of his career usually. I though I do think it helps that he had, you know, Stefan Diggs come in and, you know, be able to catch his passes, but, you know, yeah, again, but credit where credit is due, you know, Josh Allen, you know, improved on that and he worked on it all season long. And I think uh, Brian Dable deserves credit as well because, you know, he was the coordinator and he probably had some things to do with him with his throwing abilities and, you know, showed them where exactly to throw and how not to be so inaccurate. But yeah, and going back to Mond, yeah, I think maybe there could be room for that. I mean, if he could work on his mechanics you know, not look so robotic, like you were saying, you know, I mean, be able to be a good thrower and a, as good as he is at, at um, athleticism, then yeah, I think he could be, I think he could be a dangerous quarterback. I think he could, especially with the uh, talent around him with Thielen, Jefferson, you know, Herb Smith Jr., potentially maybe Smith Marset, uh, Dalvin Cook. I mean, yeah. And depending on how long the, uh, offensive coordinator stays uh Clint Kubiak is like their fifth or sixth coordinator and like Mike Zimmer's like fifth or sixth year as head coach or seventh like you know because we've had our coordinators you know come and go like Norb Turner you know he he quit in the middle of the season or he supposedly got fired but they just didn't say that out of respect uh Pat Shermer came in for a year you know he succeeded he turned Keenum into something and you know he ended up leaving they had John D. Filippo, and he was fired, you know, near the end of the season. And then they had uh, Kevin Stefanski, who got a head coaching job with the Cleveland Browns. Then Gary Kubiak, who gave him the fourth, <coughs> excuse me, uh, fourth ranked offense last year uh, before retiring. And now his son is taking over that role. And I think Clint Kubiak, I mean, they're going to be running the same, you know, similar system. So nothing too much is going to change. So I think Clint should have a, should maybe have a good time helping uh, develop 
uh, what's uh, Kellen Mond, uh, possibly as well, depending on how long he's still with the team. But I think he's a kind of court. I think he could stay here for more than a year. Like that, that would be a great, and that would be a win for the Vikings itself. You know, because then you know Kellen Mond would be able to continue his uh, continue his uh, progress with the same coordinator who has that faith in him. Maybe even Kirk Cousins will teach him some stuff as well. Kirk Cousins isn't the kind of guy to, you know, get all salty and upset, unlike, you know, Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, that, that's a whole different story. But, you know, Kirk is going to, you know, actually teach the guy, you know, maybe some stuff. He's not – Kirk is not one to cause drama. He That's just not him. Say what you want about the guy, but he might just have the most <laughs> perfect NFL personality you can, you know, ask for. But, yeah, you know, Kirk, you know, he's going to have a good attitude. He's also going to be teaching – Mon some tips as well and yeah I and especially since we're going to be getting like a preseason uh I I believe yeah a preseason that should be happening this year I think Mon will definitely have some time to show off what he can do and that will be interesting to see where he's at and what he can work on but yeah you know I'm I'm up for improvement and just as long as he doesn't have to come in like way too soon then he could potentially work out and I, I would love to be wrong about him and I would love to be happy with riding with him for the, maybe the next couple of years. But you know, if he doesn't work out, then yeah, it just, it just doesn't. And going from one quarterback on offense to the quarterback of the defense, Chad Sherrod, they got him in the third round from North Carolina. He's unbelievably raw and, we know about his collegiate career trajectory in terms of when he came in the Chapel Hill, he was a starting quarterback, made the transition his sophomore year to play linebacker, and he was pretty successful there in the ACC level. Vikings decided to take a chance on him in the third. He's unbelievably raw. You don't know if his body can hang up, hold up his body stature right now. Obviously, everyone can expect him to add some pounds by just being in the NFL weight room. The instincts aren't there, but... It's pretty clear that they possibly got him to play alongside Eric Kendricks and replace Anthony Barr in a year's time. What do you look at in terms of Surratt being the future weak side backer alongside Kendricks? And do you see it possibly working out for a team like Minnesota, who has a tendency recently to fall in love with an athletic linebacker that could do damage in space and coverage and also be sound enough to support against the run? Uh yeah, I do agree with you. He is really raw. I mean, yeah, when we first got him, I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Like, I would have preferred Jabril Cox, but I don't think Jabril Cox is someone that, you know, Mike Zimmer was looking for. I think Charles Surratt is, was a Mike Zimmer pick. You know, I think Zimmer was pounding the table for this guy. And I think it totally shows by, you know, possibly reaching for him. But, yeah, you know, I think he <coughs> – I think he does have potential to maybe turn out good. I mean, I do, I, I saw his coverage and, you know, they do like their coverage linebackers, you know, Eric Kendricks, for example, and someone who can tackle. I mean, yeah, he is raw and he could definitely put on some pounds, but you know, I, I could see, I could see him definitely improving. I could definitely see him being a surprise pick for some people. Uh, I do think he, seems to be a better tackler than Eric Wilson, despite the fact that Eric Wilson led the team in tackles last season, but he also led the team in missed tackles, I believe. So, you know, they want someone who will keep the, keep it, you know, uh, most made tackles and not most missed tackles. And, you know, Charles Surratt could be the guy, but, you know, again, I think it's going to, 
I think he needs like a year to develop. I mean, he'll definitely play on special teams for sure. You know, I think his speed is good. You know, I think he he's supposed to be pretty smart too. I mean, he used to be a quarterback and then he switched. So, I mean, he he has an idea of what the quarterback could potentially do. And I think he could put his skills up to that. But yeah, he's going to need a year to learn. He's going to need to learn how uh, the NFL way, pretty much. You know, he's going to have to learn how the NFL works and how he needs to adjust to it. And hopefully he can turn out good because if he doesn't turn out good, then like Killing Mond, then there's going to be some players that the Vikings had missed out on that they could have had instead. Like, you know, Ronnie Perkins, if Ronnie Perkins ends up being a star in New England, you know, then the Vikings could have had him, but, you know, they took a chance on Surratt and, you know, Surratt who let's say doesn't turn out good, but we, we don't know for sure. I think he can, again, I, I think he could turn into something. I mean, he could maybe be a surprise, but, we don't know that. And again, I think he needs a year before he could really do something. And yeah, I, that's pretty much where I stand with him. I didn't like the pick at first, but I can kind of warm up to why they decided to take him. It's agreeable that he may be exactly like you said, a prototypical Mike Zimmer type linebacker in the fourth round. You guys went on a stretch where it was pretty obvious that they were looking for depth volume and also we're in armor by the athleticism of two or three prospects we're going to start with Kane Naguamu he's an intriguing guy as well because he was the backup for David Montgomery running back for the Bears and was also the backup to this run to the running back that's still there at Iowa State he's a guy with elite track speed a kick returner he's more of a project at running back so in oh, essence yeah. Minnesota pulled the plug by getting a special teamer in the middle part of the fourth round, how did you look at that? And knowing what he brings to the table, is there a way he could be more of a factor within the team's zone rushing scheme than just predominantly being a kick returner for the most special teams? Well, uh, I do like his speed. I think he has pretty decent speed. I mean, yeah, you know, some people, I think maybe there are some people that consider him a reach. I mean, I'll admit, I didn't know who the heck he was, but I think he could definitely, you know, be good for, <clears throat> the special teams and you know if he ends up being a good kick returner then you know I think uh, I think some people will call that a success but at the same time it's gonna be like really you got a returner in the fourth round when you could have gotten one later like what were you thinking but you know again you know I think he definitely has a lot of potential to be our returner for a punt and kick because the Vikings had a total of 69 punt yards last year and just extremely underwhelming you know, no one wants to see that on their return sides. And, you know, you want that guy who can, you know, bring it. And Kane could definitely potentially be exactly that that guy, hopefully, with his speed. But who knows? Uh, we're going to have to see how he does in camp to really see where he's going to be at. Uh, I could maybe see him being a rotational piece behind Cook and Madison. I mean, I don't see him beating out Madison, obviously. Oh, heck no. But, you know, he could definitely come in once in a while, you know, maybe be like a mismatcher or maybe <coughs> throw in on like screenplays to him or wheel routes or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, I can understand why some people might not like this pick, but I don't I don't I didn't hate the pick personally. I'm like, eh, all right, well, we needed our third running back and, you know, we kind of got it. 
but you know, we probably won't use him too much. Uh, he'll probably be more of a return guy. And I think that's where he's going to stand. And if he works out as a return guy, then, well, I guess you can say we got a return guy then. Yeah. Incorporating him as a third back in on the team's roster is ever so important. Dalvin Cook, as special as he is, his health has always been the thing that's held him back from even reaching beyond his fullest potential. An interesting part about Noangu that I looked up, he, throughout his career at Iowa State, didn't achieve 150 total carries. So that's a blessing, where if you do decide to utilize him in the NFL, he doesn't have that wear and tear from his collegiate years that can start adding up and produce wear and tear on his body. Janaris Robinson, the defensive end for Florida State, had all the physical measurables in the world. Four-star recruit coming out of high school, wasn't really able to put it all together at Florida State. Their football program is substantially bad since Jameis Winston's no longer been on the team. Uh, when you look at Robinson, the physical measurables are there. If you turn on the tape, there's moments where he does wow you by overpowering his offensive tackle contemporaries. Is this yet another pick that the Vikings made, feeling as if he may fit schematically into their ideal 4-3 defense that they're trying to build, and it's just going to take him having a certain role within their defense and Zimmer building him up to where he can become a pretty nice value pick in the next two to three years. Yeah, that um, I like the pick. I thought it was good, but he's definitely he's not the best, though. I mean, I don't see him. I don't think I can see him, you know, getting too much playing time. I mean, maybe here and there, but I don't think he's going to get, let's say, as much playing time as, you know, maybe someone like Jones. I mean, I think Jones is much better than him by far. I mean, it's not even close, really. But um, Robinson, I mean, yeah, I think Robinson can can be something potentially, but, you know, we got to, but he's got a lot to work on though. I mean, he's got to work on his footwork and, you know, his pass rushing abilities. I mean, he's probably going to be a guy on special teams his first year. He's definitely the kind of person who's going to be a red shirt. Uh, well, in the NFL, at least uh, a red shirted freshman in the NFL, you know, his rookie year, you know, it's going to be a special teams guy and that's about it. You know, I mean, he's a guy that could also, you know, turn out to be a – could definitely turn out to be maybe a surprising contributor on the on the defense, but you're going to need time with him to really do something before you can really, you know, really know what he's going to do. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's going to – he'll definitely have some time on special teams – uh, for sure. And well, we'll just, they'll go from there. And if he doesn't turn out to anything, anything too special, then, you know, they'll probably just cut him, and, you know, they won't really lose anything, but really a wasted pick, I guess. Cameron Bynum from Cal, the cornerback is a prototypical Mike Zimmer type of defensive back. He's a cover three guy. Doesn't have the ideal top end speed. Ball skills are kind of suspect. This is a Viking secondary that last year it took them about two months to kind of gather their wits about them as they basically rebuilt their whole secondary mm-hmm. on the fly last season. Now heading into this upcoming offseason, Jeff Gladney's career with the team is most likely over. You guys were able to obtain Patrick Peterson and I think McKenzie Alexander to coincide with Cameron Dantzler. Do you see a guy like Bynum who there's been talks that he could possibly play safety which is something to keep in mind with Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith probably on their last legs with the team moving forward. Do you like Bynum's potential versatility-wise, or do you feel like if they were trying to go after a 
multi-dimensional Swiss Army knife in the secondary. He probably could have picked a better cornerback slash safety prospect. Um, yeah, they they definitely should have picked a better safety or cornerback instead of you know Bynum. I'm not really a fan of Bynum. I I don't really like his I don't like his body frame and I don't like the way he. I don't know why. I don't know. I just don't really like the way he looks when tackling. And I feel like NFL defenders would easily bounce off of him like, like nothing or NFL receivers, excuse me. But, you know, yeah, I feel like he definitely needs a lot of work. You know, I think he would maybe be better as a corner or or both. I mean, depending on how good he ends up being, but yeah, the Vikings, you know, if they wanted the safety, they should have taken, Ardarius Saint Ardarius Washington, who was still, you know, there, who ended up being undrafted eventually. I mean, they could have taken him and have, you know, a steal off of their hands, like another potential steal off their hands, you know. And they could have taken Jamar Johnson from I, I can't remember where he's from, but you know, they could have had him instead, who also has some quiet potential. Or they could have taken uh Hamsaw from Florida State, who would have been really, really good for that team. He could also he could also play linebacker. He's very versatile, but instead they decided to go with this raw talent that, you know, that they think that they could turn into, that they think they could take someone and turn into. And that's, that's a risk, you know, I mean, because if he doesn't work out, then that's another wasted pick and you could have had somebody potentially much better and who was actually a safety, a pure safety, not someone who's a corner and then switching. You know, I mean, yeah, the best thing that can happen is, you know, he'll be able to play both positions, but at the same time, they should have gotten the pure safety instead, not like, you know, a corner who's, you know, who can also play safety, but it's a bit, a little undersized in some aspects. So, yeah, that's going to be, that could be a concern if he ends up having to start in a game and, it might ruin this progress, but uh, who knows? Valid points, valid points indeed. I want to touch base on these last two prospects, and then we can move on to the overall topic on your Viking outlook for this season. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset and Zach Davidson, when I saw them on tape, they just wowed me with their ability to be dynamic with the ball in their hands after the catch. We're going to start with Marset first in particular. There were a lot of scouts that, Gave him very critical game grades in terms of feeling as if he was just a gadget guy, somebody whose route running isn't as dynamic as what you might expect for a slot receiver. But when I saw him on tape, his route running was effective enough to get open, has a solid catch radius, and when utilizing bubble screen action or just simple routes in the middle of the field, his ability to be dynamic with the ball in his hands after the catch is phenomenal. Minnesota fan base has really articulated that that number three receiver has been something that's been tough for them to find the past few years. They might have found one in Marset. Do you see Marset's ceiling being an effective slot receiver for this football team? And if he can't be that, at the very least, be a weapon in terms of being dynamic on special teams? Oh, yeah, I, I think he could be both uh, for sure. I, I really do like uh, – uh, the more I learned about Marset, the more I liked him, and the more I learned that he could be a potential steal – uh, yeah, I, I think he could be really good. He's uh, he could finally be that wide receiver three the Vikings have been looking for for quite, you know, some time now. I mean, he he's got a big. I mean, he, his uh, his body frame is good. 
I like his hands. You know, he seems like he can make any catch on any kind of route. You know, I mean, with the right coaching, I think, which I, which I'm confident that we have, I think he could definitely turn into a, a really good consistent wide receiver three and on special teams, you know, maybe he could, you know, be compete for the return job as well. And I think he could potentially, you know, I think again, yeah, I definitely think he could uh, be something, you know, good and surprising that will catch a lot of people's eyes. Like he, he definitely was a diamond in the rough uh, potentially for sure. And I think he can, I definitely do think he can turn into a really nice target. You know, the Vikings have not had a, a good wide receiver three in quite some time. But again, I also think it doesn't help that they never really use that target. But with someone like, you know, Smith Marset, I think that could, I think that could put, I think that could change. I think that can change. And, you know, if he really does end up being the third target, then now Kirk Cousins has three targets and not just, you know, Thielen and Jefferson, because then they can, because then he can take, because the, then uh, Marset can take the pressure off of uh, Jefferson and Thielen. Uh, and maybe even Herb Smith. So, yeah, I think – I definitely do think he could be that wide receiver three for us. Yeah, he seemed like a complete receiver to me, obviously. His mm-hmm. strengths are his ability to take the top off of defense, but there were routes where he did more than that. Um, intermediate routes, short routes underneath, is just the ability to catch the ball on a screen and take it five to ten yards, and that's important. Plus, kind of fits the prototypical mode that the Vikings look at for a receiver perspective – solid route running, sure hands, and then once the ball is in his hands, ability to be productive after the catch. So the team also went after tight end as well. Zach Davidson had a unique story. Um, First of all, he's from Central Missouri. That's a D2 school. So anytime anybody gets selected from a DT school, they more so often than not dominated at their level of football to be eligible to get selected in an NFL draft. His story is unique. used to be a punter. And then for like one season, he played tight end and was an All-American. And right off rip, you can see on the screen, he's able to just be productive with the ball in his hands after the catch as well. He's a big body. Obviously, he needs to add more weight in, you know, in in his chest area so he can be able to hold up on blocks. But he's a big body that can move. And so Vikings have a guy in Irv Smith. Can Davidson somewhat factor into the offensive rotation with that in mind moving forward? to allow Minnesota to have a two tight end set where you have two formidable pass catching options to utilize in the passing game. Now I will say uh, Davidson was another pick that I didn't really like that much because, you know, they've had some tight ends who, who they drafted late that just did not really, you know, work out nor went anywhere at all. You know, guys like Bucky Hodges and, Michael Pruitt are, you know, examples of that. But, you know, again, I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, Davidson, I do like the fact that he had 15 receiving touchdowns. But the thing is, that was uh, that was in a D2 school. And D2 schools, you know, they're – I mean, yeah, it's still an achievement. But, you know, it's not like D1 top-level competition. And my concern is that he never played against top competition. So he's going to need some time. Like if he's going to be anything, then he, then he needs some time. Like he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to do anything, you know, big immediately, but I do think he can, I mean, yeah, again, I'm open to seeing if he can, 
make some being like a big surprise or something, but I mean, I could see him maybe being on the practice squad this first year or two, because again, you know, D2 schools, players who come from D2 schools, they're going to need some, they're definitely going to need a lot more work. And I think uh, if the Vikings were going to draft the tight end, I feel like it should have been, you know, with one of their picks, you know, when they had the chance, uh, Brevin Jordan from Miami, who is also considered a, a big steal from the Texans. He could definitely be a nice surprise, but, you know, they didn't get him, unfortunately. And, you know, we got Davidson, but, you know, again, maybe Davidson can turn into something. And like you said, you know, maybe put on some more weight and build and we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think he's going to, I definitely don't think he's going to overtake Herb Smith. Oh, heck no. This is Herb's, Herb Smith's uh, tight end number one for sure. But in a two tight end sets, that would be that would be quite nice because then you could potentially have, you know, four targets on the offense that you could throw to. At worst, he could possibly live up to being a receiving tight end, which further pontificates the fact that Minnesota offensively, they've went out of their way the past few years to provide a wall around Kirk Cousins and a multitude of passing options to where it doesn't feel as if the defense can just load up on Thielen or load up on Jefferson. And that's enough to neutralize their offensive aerial attack. So draft in itself is complete. Training camp for the Vikings, like many teams will assume, in July. And the schedule is going to get released sometime next week, Wednesday, I think, May 12th. Mm -hmm. When that's fully released, when you see where the games lie, right now you probably know who you guys are going to play. This team, divisional-wise, everything going on with Green Bay, if Rodgers stays, if Rodgers doesn't, this is probably for sure the second best team in the NFC North. Do they have the talent on their roster? And did they make the requisite adjustments through free agency in the draft to make it back to the playoffs after a one-year hiatus? Yeah, honestly, I don't think there's any excuse on why they can't make the playoffs this year or win the division. Like on free agency, you know, they, you know, they built, they fixed their defense heavily. They got, they got, um, Dalvin Tomlinson, who came in from New York, and that's now they're going to use him as a three tech guy. Now he's not really, you know, he's not like a three tech level pass rusher like a guy like Donald or Jarrett, but you know he can bring it. I mean, I think he's a, I think he's a great, a very good uh, run stopper and a pass rusher. I mean, he could bring the pressure. He can do anything you want from a nose tackle, and you know you got Michael Pierce who's coming back from an op out who's also kind of like a big free agent signing. I mean, he was their big free agent signing last year before he opted out due to COVID health concerns, but, you know, now he's back and ready to go. You know, he's, he remained in great shape all off season long. You've got Daniel Hunter coming back, who is arguably the best player on that entire team. And it certainly showed last year on that defense, their defense last year went from their defensive line last year went from Afadi Adenabo, Shamar Stephan, Jaleel Johnson. And, you know, I, either DJ Wanham or Jalen Holmes to now Daniel Hunter, Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson, and, you know, Stephen Weatherly, who's, you know, not as, you know, good as those guys, but he, but he has experience with the Minnesota defense and he can definitely bring something on the rotation, you know, and then you got Patrick Jones who could potentially become a stud, you know, an all pro potential, you know, you got an upgraded D line already and especially guys who are going to stop the run for sure. You know, and then you went out and got Patrick Peterson for the secondary to help the guys like Dancer, Gladney, and Hanwell. Gladney might, might not even be on the team anymore after what he did. But, you know, who knows? But either way, Peterson is still going to show 
uh, Dantzler and hand some more steps to their game. And that could definitely be what the young corners needed. The Vikings should have done that last year or like when, when they had those rookie corners and like they, I think a veteran would have helped, but unfortunately they just did not do that. And they tried to coach them up quickly as they should, but you know, that, that didn't exactly work out like from the beginning until, you know, kind of near the end in some ways, but yeah, now they got their veteran, you know, Mackenzie Alexander is also back. So, you know, he could also probably teach them some things, especially since he's, he knows the system and, you know, and then in the backfield, you know, you got Woods to replace Harris, who, in my opinion, I thought Woods was slightly worse than Harris last year, but he's also been considered to be a better fit for this defense than he was in Dallas. And I think with a lot of uh, good talent around him, I think he could definitely end up being, you know, better than he was last year and especially playing next to Harrison Smith. You know, yeah, they fixed that, you know, they fixed up that defense, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it improved again. I mean, it's going to come back hard and strong on paper for sure, and even the season. I mean, they did a great job filling that up, and then coming going to the offense, you know, they fixed up that offensive line. And it's like, look, we like our zone scheme, we but we need bigger guys. We need bigger, stronger guys who can also play a bit of both, and they got Darius Holland Davis for that. If you would have told me – I mean, I would have been able able to predict that, you know, one of them would maybe be a Viking. But if you would have told me both of them would have ended up being a Viking, I would not have believed you. But, you know, look where we are. They are now on the team and they are potentially going to help push this O-line back up again. And, you know, they're going to be really good on the run, even better on the run like they were last year. And, you know, I'm sure Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins appreciates that and, you know, I mean, yeah, the offense was already fourth last year, but now they could potentially be up higher, maybe. I mean, depending on how they do, depending on how the offensive line holds up, you know. And other than that, there's really, like I said, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to make the playoffs this year and why they probably can't even win the division. And if they ended up not making the playoffs again this year, despite what they did, then I think Zimmer and Spielman deserve to be fired then. Because, I mean, at that point, it's like, what's your excuse? You know, we understand what happened last year. But this year, you know, you fixed everything up. And we were supposed to be better. And, you know, uh, back to being where we wanted to be again. But now we're – but we did not go anywhere. And I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you guys go. We appreciate what you did for this team in the past years. But we're going to go a different direction now. And – yeah, like I said, if they don't make the playoffs, Zimmer and Spielman deserve to be, you know, gone. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Last year for the Vikings heading into the offseason, it was weird. Uh, they beat the Saints, yeah. uh, and then they lost to the Niners in the divisional round. So going to the offseason last year, really just cleaning house in the secondary. And once they did that and went relatively green, at cornerback, didn't really add the requisite veterans to make things happen, automatically felt like they weren't going to really be successful with that formula because their D-line play also took a dip as well. Everson yeah. Griffin declined, so he had to go. But Daniel Hunter was really their only formidable pass rusher. Then when Pierce wasn't able to play because of COVID-19, he decided to take the year out. That even affected them more so with their run defense. Couldn't rush the passer, couldn't stop the run. And it really took a toll on that defensive unit as a whole. feel like they've shored up their front seven enough to where they'll be way more for, formidable against the run. 
and with the experience and also the rookies being able to understand the language of Zimmer's coverages defensively, they'll be a lot better there. And then offensively, the protection that they've been able to create for Cousins, a multitude of weapons they've been able to add for him as well, and just formidable, better offensive line play at the tackle and guard spot. It's going to go a long way. And they're in a division where Green Bay, their uncertainty is their uncertainty, and we're going to get yeah. into that. And Detroit, they're making some moves in terms of shoring up their trench play, but they don't have enough skill position players offensively to be productive with right. golf. And then for Chicago, Justin Fields, whenever he decides to get in, that team probably might be a turn away from maybe competing for the playoffs, but they're not a legit threat for the division because they're not a complete team as a whole yet. So this is the Vikings opportunity to maximize their window this year. I do expect them as well to be a playoff team. And I expect them to maybe make a nice little playoff run if the likes of Cook are able to stay healthy, Cousins continues to hit in the right stride when they go into playoff play, and the defense is able to round into its own form. Yeah, I agree. Because again, you know, the Packers, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, wanting out and being unhappy, you know, there that that just puts Green Bay automatically uh, off of first place. I mean, because if, without Rodgers, I don't think they're anything good without him. I mean, they got Devontae Adams and Jones, but I don't think their production is going to be as high without a guy like Rodgers. You can't. <clears throat> You can't just easily replace a guy like Rodgers. And the fact that you managed to make him unhappy, that's just – that's unbelievable. And you know you did something wrong when you pissed someone like him off to where he does not want to be on the team anymore. And and especially with Green Bay's defense not being the best at all, especially on the run, they're going to have problems. Like they could definitely go downhill, and it's going to make Matt LaFleur look bad and the rest of the management and – Rodgers is going to have all the leverage saying, you see, you only win with me and look what, how you did without me, but I don't want to come back to you guys anyway. So trade me or I'm going to retire. And then, you know, moving on to Detroit. I mean, yeah, I like what they did in the draft as well. They definitely had, they definitely had some really good picks. I mean, Penny or Penny, however you say his name, uh, the, the one defensive tackle, uh, I can't remember what college it was. Uh, Levy, I think he could definitely turn into something good. Uh, I do like the Amon St. Brown pick from the later rounds. That's he could potentially be a steal. But you know, you have like one receiver though, which could potentially be him. The only big receiving target that they have is Hawkinson, and you know that's about it. I mean, because Jared Goff doesn't really have anybody to throw to. You lost Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and, you know, Tyrell Williams and uh, what's his, who else? Uh, Rashad Perryman. I'm sorry, but they're not replacements. They are not proper replacements. They are wide receiver threes at best. If either of them were on the Vikings, they would be wide receiver three. Uh, if they were on a team like uh, the Buccaneers, they would be wide receiver three. Well, probably wide receiver four because, you know, the Buccaneers got Brown as well. Uh, but yeah, if they went to any team with a top, a wide receiver duo, they would be wide receiver three. So, you know, the Lions, you know, they could maybe show some signs, but, you know, with Jared Goff, you know, in my opinion, not being as good as Stafford and really only having Hawkinson as a target and, you know, a running back, uh, DeAndre Swift, you know, that's going to, you know, that's, that's, that could be the factors that hold them back in some ways. And, you know, with Dan Campbell, you know, he's going to, there's probably going to need to be some time for him to, 
you know, finally get the team he wants to come together. And then with Chicago, I mean, yeah, they could be a threat. I mean, they could be that surprise with that defense, but I think their quarterback play holds them back significantly. Significantly, I mean, Andy Dalton, you know, he might be better than Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, but that's honestly, that's not really saying much. I mean, he's, I mean, he's okay for a few games, but then he just, yeah, he just kind of phases out. Uh, Justin Fields, he could, again, Justin Fields could be good. I mean, <coughs> like if he turns into the franchise quarterback that the Bears have been looking for, then, you know, then they can make some noise and then we could talk about them. But, you know, you're going to, but again, you know, that quarterback play, I just, I just don't trust it. And that defense, you know, they're not, they're not like as good as they were maybe a few years ago, but they're still very competitive. But, you know, as long as you have bad quarterback play, I'm just not sure if you're going to, you know, make it that far. Now, granted, they won, they went five and one the first two times, the first couple of games with Trubisky and, you know, Foles, but then they, you know, you started to see them go down a bit and that could be more of the case. And yeah, they still made the playoffs, but, you know, they still got beat, like beat showing that they, you know, pretty much just got rewarded with an extra game, but you know, it is what it is. But yeah, again, I think quarterback, their quarterback situation could be a bothersome, uh, even though they had a, you know, okay. Dra- I mean, I, I don't think their draft is as good as everybody else is saying it is, but I think the quarterback situation and depending on how Fields turns out is what's going to hold them back. And going back to the Vikings again, yeah, I think there's no excuse for why they can't, you know, take the division unless something really, really big happens with the other three teams. But yeah, that's, I think that's how I see it. All valid points. And I want to piggyback on what you said on each of these teams. I do think Green Bay, they're in a tough spot. But I think what inevitably will happen is, as we've heard conflicting reports, Schefter came out, I think, yesterday and was like, look, everything about Rodgers has no sources to it. So now with that being known, we don't really know what Rodgers wants or what he doesn't want. But when there's smoke, there's usually fire. And what we can both acknowledge is that he wasn't relatively happy when he wanted a receiver last year and they took his replacement. Now, I like Jordan Love's upside, but Jordan Love has never played. We don't know what he can do. And Green Bay's in a spot where they like the fact that the last two years they've been in the NFC Championship game. Now, obviously, they haven't liked the fact that they've lost, but they've liked the fact they've been a game away from the Super Bowl. So they don't want Rodgers to leave out of the out of the boy yet. But if he does, do I feel like the team that they have constructed is good enough to be a playoff team? I do, but I do also realize that their championship window will be close. And a lot of it has to do with Love is a talented player, but it will be his first true year starting. Uh, NFL defense is, is going to be something he's going to have to learn and realize on the fly. And yeah, he has Aaron Jones. Yeah, he has Devontae Adams and a nice running game and a running scheme that LaFleur has brought in to balance the run in the past. But he's not Aaron Rodgers. So that championship window probably won't be maximized for Green Bay for the next four to five years until we realize if love's the truth or if he's not. And then with Detroit, everything you said about the receiving core is correct. They let Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones walk. So we kind of both expected them maybe to entertain a receiver with their first pick, but then Sewell drops from a value perspective on anybody's draft board. 
Sewell was one of the top five players in the draft. If he falls to seven, you got to take him. And they did. I don't have a problem with that. But Amara St. Brown was like the lone receiver I think they got in the draft. And he's nice as maybe a slot guy. But that means on the boundaries, your one and your two are going to be Tyrell Williams and Rashard Perryman. Williams is long in the tooth. He's in his early 30s. His days, his best days, that is, they're behind him. And Perryman, I think a year before last, when he was with Tampa, showcased that he could still play in the league. And then when he was with Cleveland, he didn't really crack the rotation. So it's one of those situations where they're building up their trench play, and but they don't have the records of skill positions to get things done. So because of that, Detroit is going to be a very physical team. They're going to grind it out. They're probably going to play in a lot of close games. But you need playmakers to win those close games. They don't have them, so that's the truth of the matter there. And then with Chicago, I agree on the Andy Dalton aspect. Andy Dalton, with the perfect pieces around him, is an above-average quarterback. But even that means he'll get you to the playoffs, and he won't win it because his career trajectory shows he doesn't win playoff games. And so for for Chicago, it's like, okay, they want a competitive guy to keep their franchise playoff caliber. They're probably going to get that. But the way Nagy has been vibing in these interviews that I've seen. He's ecstatic. He has fields. So there's really no guarantee that Dalton's going to be their guy week one. I, I know they've said all the right things. I've known before they got fields, their Twitter page was like QB1, Dalton. But um, Nagy's so in love with fields, and I understand why, because it feels upside. And the fact that he probably feels like I finally have a real quarterback to where I can open up my office of skill set and my schemes that I wasn't able to with Trubisky. But even if Fields starts, he's still somewhat of a raw prospect. The talent around him is there. But like you said, Chicago's defense is going to take a step back. And I think because of that, they're probably going to be a borderline above 500 team because they lost Kyle Fuller. I like Khalil Mack, but at this point in Khalil Mack's career, and it's usually what happens when you're a great player, he gets doubled so much that he's not really able to dominate a game as a pass rusher like he used to early in his career. So going to be interesting to see Chicago play it but you're right Detroit's probably going to be the team that's going to finish last again Chicago is going to be hanging up there with Minnesota as well and Green Bay they keep Rodgers or they don't I think contrary to what people think I feel like I'm probably on an island on this one without Rodgers I do feel like they're still a playoff team because I believe in love's upside but without Rodgers you're not going to be competing for a Super Bowl anytime soon yeah, um, I, I think Love has potential. I mean, I, I've always I liked what he's had to offer aside from his, you know, turnover not turnover numbers and now yeah that could be fixed. You know, that could be fixed and lowered. But once again, he's not Aaron Rodgers. That's that's the deal. And I mean, yeah, he has Adams and Jones, but again, you know, you're not. But what makes him really click is that you know is being an elite quarterback and love. I mean, yeah, love could maybe turn out to be that way. But again, I don't think he first off in college. I mean, he was nowhere near as good as Rogers. Oh, heck no. Uh, I think he, uh, he could definitely be the player who could maybe take them to the playoffs, but that's about it. You either make the Super Bowl or you don't with him. And, you know, he ends up just being good, which isn't, you know, necessarily what you, would want from a quarterback, but, you know, at least it's not, you know, terrible. Uh, and like you said with Detroit, I think they're going to be relying on their – relying on both sides of their line because on the offense, you know, you don't really 
who the heck are you? Who the heck is Jared Goff going to throw to aside from TJ Hawkinson? I mean, Amon St. Brown, he could be good, but again, I think he might be more of a, a slot guy, and so is uh, Perryman and Williams in some aspects as well. But again, I don't see them as you know. <coughs> I don't really see them as convincible receivers to help golf. I mean, I, I think they should have taken, uh, they definitely should have taken their receiver, but again, you know, Penny Sewell fell and you know, you, you had to take him, and I don't blame them for that. You know, I could, I could see that, but then again, you know, there's that you could have also gotten a receiver much earlier on day two, but then no, you decided to go with Levy who also has some good upside to him. But, you know, again, you kind of waited a bit too late to address your receiver needs. And that's why you ended up getting <clears throat> Amon St. Brown, which again, you know, he's not terrible, you know, he's good, but he's not someone like, you know, uh, Terrence Marshall Jr. Who you could have gotten or, you know, Rondale Moore, who you could have had like, you know, those two, you know, they could be those, either of those two could turn out to be like the Justin Jefferson of last year, potentially. But again, you didn't take either of them. So, you know, that's a problem. And you know, if you don't have any skill players to go with your trenches, then yeah, that's going to be a problem. Now I under now, yeah, I do believe that it all starts up front, but without any you know skill players around you, aside from someone like Swift and maybe even Hawkinson, I mean, I don't think you're going to win too many games. You're going to definitely be in some close games, uh, whether you win them or lose them. But yeah, that's that's pretty much where I see Detroit at. But you know, who knows? Uh, Chicago, yeah, I could see them as a threat, but again, you know, their quarterback situation is what's going to hold them back a bit. And Khalil Mack, you know, he's also starting to get up there in age, age too, along with the double teams, and that that will just put a wear and tear on your body. Like that will, like your body is not meant to take that much punishment at that age, and you know that could be what slows him down. Akeem Hicks, I believe, is kind of up there in the same category as well, but I'm not too sure i mean i think i heard rumors that they wanted to trade him but they just didn't really find any partners but you know depending on what happens i think they could definitely maybe see some decline declining uh who knows but yeah their defense you know they might be competitive but not as good on the offense you know i like you know robinson and darnell mooney obviously but you know again the quarterback is what matters most to me and you know they don't really have a quarterback who can you know, push that team over the top, really, unless Fields, you know, magically comes in and pulls off like a pulls to Justin Herbert where nobody really thought he was going to be anything to, you know, suddenly, you know, being at the top rookie of the year level. And yeah, that's about it. And yeah, they do have David Montgomery as well. But once again, the quarterback is what is what matters. And they don't exactly have that. So, yeah. That's about it. Before we wrap this segment up, the podcast in general as a whole, I want to touch base on all teams in the NFL. Free agency technically isn't over, but we've reached the dead aspects of it. The draft is officially over. Which teams do you feel like took substantial leaps to progress themselves into being Super Bowl contenders? And which teams do you feel like took steps back off of moves they made, didn't make, to maybe regress as franchises? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Uh, I kind of like what um, I like what Carolina did. 
Like, I really like the draft they had, you know, because I, I really like what Matt Rule and Joe Brady are bringing to the table in Carolina. They are going to be a really good young football team for sure. I mean, I think they got – they upgraded from Teddy to, you know, Sam Darnold, who I think is going to do much better in Carolina than he did in New York. You know, he has much further weapons. You have an underrated receiving duo and, D, and uh, DJ Moore – and Robbie Anderson and, you know, Darnold's reuniting with Anderson. So, you know, that helps, but yeah, you, uh, you got, you know, an under, uh, like I said, an underrated receiving duo. Uh, you lost Curtis Samuel, who, you know, is a, who's one of the best wide receiver threes in the league, but you replaced him with Terrence Marshall Jr. Who could, you know, definitely fill that void and who somebody I like in the later rounds, he could, uh, he could, he could definitely become, Someone turned into someone like his former teammate uh, Jefferson from last year, but yeah, as a wide receiver target, that as like a wide receiver, you know, three target, yeah, that could, you know, that could definitely, you know, make that offense big and nice, uh, especially if Christian McCaffrey comes back healthy, and you know he is healthy, assuming because then that's going to help even more. You know, you got. Uh, Chuba or Chuba, however you say his name, Hubbard, who I know a lot of people, you know, considered, you know, not really all that good, but I, uh, I think he could actually be a, a nice rotational piece. I think he could end up being really good and surprising a lot of people, but yeah, I like what Carolina's doing. Young team only going to get better. And they added a lot more pieces as to that as well. Uh, I like what the Jets did, you know, Zach Wilson, you know, they did what they should have done with Darnold, but, you know, they gave him, you know, weapons as they went along. You know, you got ABT at 14, you got, you know, the running back uh, who was considered a, a steal, who, who I, which I agree with. <clears throat> you got Elijah Moore, who, again, who I could also see as a Justin Jefferson candidate. Uh, I like, I like him. I think he, you know, I think he's good. You know, Denzel Mims is only going to get better. You know, that defense, I'm not sure about the defense necessarily, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that – we'll see how Salah handles that. Um, I do like uh, – what's another draft I like? I'm not necessarily sure. But, yeah, I can't really think of any other drafts I like. But, you know, I think uh, – but, yeah, I think the, the Panthers and the uh, – Jets are kind of up there for really good draft. Now for draft losers, I would consider, uh, I think the Texans could be up there, but you know, so part of me doesn't really, you know, blame them really. I mean, I, part of me thinks they had no choice. I mean, they got Sam Mills who, you know, you don't really expect to really be much of anything at all. Really. I mean, the guy, you know, I, I, again, you know, if he ends up starting, I don't think he's going to do what Deshaun Watson does. Not, not even close. I mean, despite what happens with Deshaun Watson, you know, he's probably not going to be on the team anymore and probably done with the NFL, maybe depending on what happens uh, next with him. But if they think Sam Mills is going to be the guy and if he ends up not being good, then, you know, they could probably see themselves with the number one pick in the near future, maybe even next year. Uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, another team that I did not think had a good draft. Uh, can't really remember. 
can't really remember who else had a draft that I thought eh about, but I guess maybe the Packers in some ways, you know, because I mean, again, you know, you, you got a player who you got some players who could maybe be a surprise, but you know, they, but it's not going to change around the fact of what you did with Rogers and what happened with Rogers in some ways. Uh, Seattle didn't really have a lot of picks. So now maybe those three players could turn into something, but again, you only got three players and that's not really, it's not really what you want. So that's another thing. I feel like Tampa Bay, even though they brought all, even though they kind of won free agency, you know, they got back all their guys. Uh, They still had a draft to where it just didn't really seem like they cared that much. The only draft pick that really kind of stands out to me is Kyle Trask, who could potentially be the uh, Brady replacement. But other than that, it just seemed like they just added more depth and that was it. I mean, they pretty much probably said, okay, we did what we needed to do in free agency. We got all of our guys back. Let's just, you know, let's just fill up some depth in the draft and that's about it. But you still could have gotten some good, you still could have gotten some good players though. But yeah, and then uh, I can't remember who else, but I believe, but yeah, that's a, I think that's where I stand with some teams, you know, I, yeah, I, nothing really much else to say, but I think uh, if I had to say, look out for one of these teams, I think Carolina is a sleeper team for sure. I agree, and piggyback on your analysis of it all i thought carolina had a pretty pretty successful draft you know last year they went all out and trying to rebuild their defense and their defense was still kind of bad but you know they rebuilt it and they had outstanding players foundational pieces Mm -hmm. i felt like in the trenches with Derek brown and then on in the secondary with jeremy chin we're able to get jc horn eighth overall he kind of will potentially take Dante jackson's spot and Got Terrace Marshall in the second. And so they've got an offense where they've surrounded Sam Darnold, which is what he never had in New York, with skill position players because they realize Darnold is a guy who's probably going to need the car Taylor made for him for him to be successful. He's not the franchise guy that can just come in and uplift every, everybody. He's going to need unique, yeah. special talents to be around him to make his job easier. My issue with Carolina, though, moving forward is Sam Darnold could have a little Andy Dalton in him, which is yeah, the material around him is great, but inaccuracies, indecisiveness, and bad decision-making could hold Carolina back from achieving what they really could be, which is why they probably entertained very hard at the eighth spot taking Justin Fields because mm-hmm. they didn't extend Darnold. They trade a lot to get, well, they didn't trade a ton to get him, but they gave up draft capital to get Darnold. They didn't extend him. So they're basically looking at this year for Sam as a prove it year. And if he's able to prove that he's productive, they're going to keep him. If he's not, they're going to probably move on from him. But by moving on from him, it doesn't look like the draft coming up is going to be quarterback strong. So it's making or break it with Darnold in terms of him being their guy moving forward. I thought Baltimore had a solid draft. Basically yeah. remodeled their whole receiving core. Um, Lamar Jackson's mm-hmm. fan base and the Ravens fan base have been stomping the ground, advocating for better receivers. I do oh, yeah. feel like it's twofold. A lot of guys that they had on the roster are number two or three guys at best. But I also feel like Lamar's inability to pass consistently on the boundary 
hurts their ability to be a dynamic passing team all over the field. So what they did was went out of their way and got a big target in Rashard Bateman, who I thought was a perfect fit for Baltimore two months ago. He's going to help Lamar on the boundary. And then he got Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, who who is the Cowboys' best receiver on that football team. Doesn't wow you with amazing speed and whatnot, but he's a possession receiver that can get open, make the sound catches. We know they got a basically a washed-up Sammy Watkins, but he's there for depth. And then now that allows Marquise Brown to possibly be a slot guy, which I think long-term, probably his best trajectory in his NFL career as a three-receiver. Now, worst drafts, I do feel like uh, you got to, you know, literally pick from in terms of that. I do think that, well, before I go to worst, I want to go one more team. Cleveland did amazing. Jeremiah Wilson drops, has the hard issues, drops yeah. to him in the second. And they were able to get probably the fourth best corner, or was it the third best corner in the draft, and fourth best corner in the draft, and Greg Newsom got him at the tail end of the first, and that was huge because – my team, the New Orleans Saints, is probably going to entertain Newsom. Browns were able to get him, and that's important because Denzel Ward was their best corner. And when he got hurt, their secondary took an immense nosedive. When he came back, they were serviceable. And in the NFL, you need two reliable corners to hold it down on the boundaries. Can't get by with one anymore because every team has about two to three receivers that can get 600 to 700 yards receiving at least a year. So that was important for Cleveland to fortify their secondary and their front seven with the cornerback and linebacker selections. Losers got to pick my team, the saints, man. I don't know what they were doing. I mean, they, they reached for a defensive end in the first round because Mm -hmm. they basically sold their hand by saying we might trade up to get Farley. And by doing that, they made all the teams you want in the corner, hurry up and get the best ones early, which loves the saints on the outside looking in. They took Patrick Turner. He's a prototype similar to Marcus Davenport who's on their team, which is fine, but they had to settle because they showed their hand in terms of what they wanted to do. And then in the second round, the rumor was they wanted to go after Terrace Marshall. And there was a piece that somebody told me that the Panthers wrote up where Marshall's agent told Carolina the Saints Saints want to pick us, which allowed Carolina to take Marshall way earlier than they probably wanted to because they thought Terrace would be there. And so that left the Saints on the outside looking for a receiver. They got a solid linebacker and and Pete Werner he, he's cool um Paulson Adebo has upside to be something the cornerback out of Stanford he can be their number two but they didn't really address their cornerback situation as best as they could have receiver is still kind of a question mark you just hope that Winston's arm ability which is severely an upgrade over Breeze's arm ability because Breeze declined can make everybody on the field a threat in the passing game but I thought the Saints draft as an overall was a massive disappointment. Yeah. And the Vegas Raiders, you know, they reached again. I mean, yeah. you know, they got Leatherwood, the <laughs> liner for Alabama. He's he's cool, but it was a reach. They took mm-hmm. two safeties, which made me think, and I don't have a problem with them taking Merrick and Diablo. They're talented. I think they're probably a better safety duo than Joseph and Abrams. But now you're selling to your fan base. We got two safeties, but Diablo's going to be a linebacker. And then with Merrick, you don't know because he's having injury issues that made him drop. So that's a question mark in itself. Their offensive line had to get addressed because they let some cats go. But, you know, that that's the issue with the Raiders, man. They've been reaching ever since Gruden's been the coach and Mayock's been the GM. And I think a lot of that doesn't have to do with Mayock. Not letting Mayock off the hook. I think Mayock knows what he's doing as a draft scout. I think Gruden's 
huge imprint on decisions, which he's going to have with a $100 million contract, is enormous and reigns supreme. And I think he has final authority on these decisions, which might make sense for why they reach for Farrell over Josh Allen. So why they took a reach on Damon Arnett over yeah. probably other better options. It's why Henry Ruggs wasn't a reach. I get it, but due in large part because Nelson Aguilar over their vertical threat probably would have been more effective the way they ran their offense, play action pass, intermediate options down the field. Justin Jefferson or C.D. Lamb probably would have been better fit for their attack based upon how they run things. So I thought Oakland kind of, you know, wet the bet on that one. And, you know, Rams and Seattle, going to put them up there too. Seattle just didn't have enough picks. And, you know, when you don't have enough picks, it's really hard, especially when you're on a team where your quarterback makes a majority of the money. And so I think they're just going to bank on, uh, you know, the guys that they took last year turning out potentially – they get a receiver option who reminds me of Tyler Lockett, which is fine, but I don't think Seattle needed more receivers. I think they needed more depth and versatility in the trenches offensively and defensively. And then for the Rams, I like Robert Rochelle. I think he has the potential to be something special. Guy they got from Central Arkansas, but uh, the receivers that they took, yeah, I don't know, didn't really do anything at the linebacker spots. And for a team like the Rams, when you traded for Ramsey and you're paying Aaron down on all this money. And now Stafford add him to the payroll as well. You got to hit in these later rounds in the draft. I don't think they did. You know, I don't think it's enough in a draft when you're a team drafting like they are to just hit on a guy. You got to hit on two or three to make the draft stand out and for you to help formidably build out a competent team. I don't really think they did that as well. And then last but not least, the Bucks. You know, a lot of guys are high on Joe Tryon, the guy that they took last in the first round. They like him. Um, this is a weak defensive end class, I feel like, in my opinion. A lot of these guys were kind of the same. They were, like, really strong individuals that can set an edge and push the pocket, but they don't present, like, game-breaking abilities to be guys to be consistent pass rushers off the edge. That's just me. But the Kyle Trask decision, I, I'm not a tr- Kyle Trask fan. His stock was solid until – the bowl game. Now, a lot of people bring up the bowl game as it wasn't his fault. Kyle Pitts didn't play. Quinn Grimes didn't play. Didn't have chemistry with his receivers. Yeah, all of that's true, but a lot of picks that he threw were just not good decisions. And he's a very risque decision-making when it comes to throwing the football. And when you don't have the strongest arm, being concise with the football and being accurate, that really matters, especially when you're not as mobile as he is. And if you can't be that, then Tampa Bay's basically signing their fate to Trask, who probably in essence may turn out and be another Mike Glennon, which if you took another Mike Glennon and he's your future moving forward, that's a whiff. That's a miss for the Bucs. And they'll be back to being the end up Tampa Bay Buccaneers again, if that's what turns out it's going to be. Yeah, I I definitely agree with those points. Uh, the Saints, yeah, I also didn't like the Saints draft. It felt like they, it felt like they had trouble, you know, getting the players they wanted, or they didn't push hard enough. And other teams heard and it's like, oh shoot, we better take our, we better take our guy quickly. And you know that's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, I think you uh, made a lot of good points on the other drafts, uh, and for the ones who didn't have that. You know, great of a draft. Another 
a team that I actually thought had a really good draft was uh, Miami that I didn't mention. I mean, they got Jalen Waddle, who is not the first who I wouldn't have taken over Smith, but I can understand why I get it. Uh, Jalen Phillips, you know, if he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy, uh, that could be a really good pick. I like Javon Holland. Uh, I considered him my my safety number one in my personal opinion, even though Trevon Mohrig is probably better. But, you know, I don't think you could go wrong with either. I do like Liam Eikenberg, and I like Hunter Long. I think those are really, really good picks, and I think Miami <clears throat> next year should be this time a playoff team with Tua, depending on how he does. I mean, hopefully Tua – can take the next step and hopefully they'll have more confidence in him as well, especially since they're going to be reuniting him with uh, Jalen Waddle. And like you said about the Raiders, yeah, it's no surprise that they reached again because again, I mean, they, they, but the thing with Gruden and well, probably mainly with Gruden, not sure about Mayock, but anyway, <coughs> they probably think that, they they probably don't agree necessarily with the with the way the draft is, and they probably think they could just take whoever they want anyway and take a chance. Saying, "Nah, man, that doesn't that doesn't matter to us. We're gonna take who we like and prove why we like them." And I don't think that's really necessarily has worked out for them at all. I mean, Clean Bear, Klein Farrell, or however you say his name, you know, he hasn't he hasn't really turned into a good. Uh, consistent pass rusher at all I mean Max Crosby has outplayed him completely and it's not even close uh, you could have easily have had Josh Allen and then Max Crosby later and then you would have one heck of a dominant you know defensive end duo but again you reach for Farrell and he hasn't turned out that way and last year you know I get the Henry Ruggs pick I understand that but the Damon Arnett that you could have had somebody much better you could have had you know, maybe someone like Christian Fulton instead or Jeff Gladney, but no, you decided to reach somebody who was expected to be a day two player. And now this year you took Alex Leatherwood, who was also considered to be a day two player. And yet you took him anyway, when you could have had someone like Christian Derrissaw or, you know, Tevin Jenkins, maybe even if Tevin Jenkins might've been a bit of a reach, but again, you could have had one of those two players instead, instead of a guy who's, you know, kind of considered raw and need some work, but you know, you, you with that badly once again, and your best player is um, Mo Rig by far out of this entire draft class. And I don't see how you improve the offensive line. They didn't improve the offensive line at all. They, um, that you got rid of, they got rid of their, their best three players. I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it was because of age, but again, you know, I don't see how you improve that offensive line. And I, um, yeah, they, they did not have that great of a draft. And I think Derek Carr is going to have some trouble with how this guys, uh, but yeah, that's where I think that's where I stand with the, uh, the rest of the draft really. I agree with that sentiment and I'll piggyback on that and, wrap it up it's a team where you know especially with the Dolphins they can uh they got somebody that can make plays and waddle he's got the speed game breaking ability um Tyreek Hill his presence in the league has made those speedy undersized receivers feel like a luxury and anytime somebody like that is on anybody's radar he's going to blossom up the draft boards and 
yeah, you're right with Vegas. I mean, this is a team where I think they get in their own heads. And I feel like Mayock does a pretty good job of scouting guys to the point where they're talented enough to draft. It just comes back to drafting them at their value, not overreaching for it and understanding that, okay, we might go into the draft like, okay, we're picking here and we like Arnett or somebody. Um, so maybe we got to pick our net if the board falls that way. But if the board falls that way, you don't have to. And Fulton probably scales a lot better at the pro level. Take a shot on him. Same thing with the Raiders. Like, they had no excuse to take Farrell over Allen, but they did. And now the thing we're hearing is, where's the edge rush? Where's the edge rush? Well, it was there. They didn't really deliver on selecting it. So it's just one of those unfortunate things where crazy thing about Vegas is they're a team where – they're average and it inflicts that by missing in the draft they're well coached enough and fundamentally sound to where they'll win seven games eight games but they're not winning double digits or being playoff participants because they whiffed on getting a game changer within their offensive line or their defensive line and it's showing in these games where you're playing the charters and herbert throws for four touchdowns because he's not getting touched or cars playing well enough, but down the stretch, they don't make the game-breaking play that they need because their receiving core isn't being fully utilized or Ruggs has been taken out of the game so much that he's not even an option you go to in clinch time. So that's really how it really ended out for the Raiders. And with that, that's episode 16 in a nutshell. Before I go, I just want to give my man Jake a huge shout-out for being a part of this podcast with me. Um, let him further talk about his ig platform and further speak on how this podcast experience was for him being on this platform yeah man again thanks for having me this was a lot of fun talking about you know the draft and you know bits of free agency uh yeah uh, for those who are watching and listening don't forget to check me out on purple rain vikings uh especially if you're a vikings fan for more Viking takes and my views and opinions of the team. Uh, yeah, it, this was, this was a great time and thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being able to come here and this was a great opportunity for the both of us to expand our products and mm -hmm. it's a great thing for overall. And with that episode 16 in a nutshell, I'll be back next week with a new guest and off script. Hope you guys had a great time listening to this content. I'll see you guys later.